0: Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at David Fincher's new Netflix feature, The Killer. It was in theaters for one week. I think it might still be in theaters right now. If you're listening to this today, you may still be able to catch it. Andy and I barely caught it. We didn't even tease it last week because we weren't sure we were going to catch it, but we saw it. We're excited to talk about it. We're also going to talk about Past Lives, the A24 feature uh, from Celine Song. First time director, incredible work. This thing's been getting buzzed like After Sun got last year. We finally watched it. We paid VOD prices to watch it because we sacrifice blood and sweat and tears for this show. <laughs> and I'm excited to talk about past lives. Uh, it's really good stuff. Stick around for the review. Uh, we got to talk about this Variety article uh, out of... <laughs> out of variety, Uh, regarding Marvel (laughs) and and the MCU In crisis. In crisis. It is all people have been talking about on Twitter. I am so excited we have the opportunity to speak on it here on Offscript. As predicted by Offscript, a lot of good stuff in there that we predicted that came true. So we're going to do a full breakdown of the whole thing in our Death of Cinema segment in the middle. Before we get to all of it, we need to talk about the news. Uh, A quick PSA before our first story this week. I just saw this on Twitter before we started the show. Uh, Barnes & Noble's big annual Criterion Collection sale is kicking off November 3rd through December 5th. If you're listening to the show today on the 2nd, that's starting tomorrow. So odds are, if you're hearing this, you can go get Criterions for up to 50% off at Barnes & Noble. Crazy. They do them online. I don't know how they can afford it, but it's a big deal every year. Uh, so yeah, if you're looking for uh, you know, a little stocking stuff or something, go grab yourself a couple of fine films from the good people of BNN. Our first story this week, uh, Disney delays Snow White and Elio a year and removes Jonathan Major's magazine dreams from calendar. Uh, Disney's already making headlines. Like I said, we're talking about it in our Death of Cinema segment this week. But there were some shakeups uh, amid the actors' strike. They've got to move some things around, I think. By the way, uh, reportedly they're talking. No updates, though. Has- Strike's still on. Um it seems like Snow White's getting moved. Uh, Elio's getting moved. Jonathan Majors is off the map, which is a whole other story. Andy, what do you think? Man,
1: uh, we we knew that the strikes would cause delays. They, we saw things like Poor Things move and Dune Two, which was already supposed to be out, um, and we knew that more would be to follow. So th- these are the first casualties. Snow White is moving from March 2024 to March 2025, a full year. Elio moved back fourteen months. This was also supposed to be a March release, a uh, March twenty twenty four. This is now coming out summer twenty five. That's the the new uh, Pixar film, uh, which we don't know a whole lot about. Uh, and then the big, the big one, or, or one of the big disappointments, uh, magazine dreams being completely pulled off the slate because um, Jonathan Majors has a criminal trial starting starting at the end of this month, and that movie would have come out exactly in the middle of that trial. So they're not gonna uh, have that that in there one of the big movies that hasn't moved but it's probably going to is deadpool 3 which is uh, supposed to come out in may 2024 like seven uh seven eight months from now no way that that uh keeps that that release date um, the strikes have just been too long and that movie's been out of, of production so it's just part of the dominoes
0: we knew we we're gonna fall It has been such a treat watching Deadpool 3 director Sean Levy, like, beg on Twitter. Like, please work this out. I want my movie to come out next summer. It's going to be a hit. I know it. He's tweeted about it, like, three times. It's funny every... It gets fake. It's funnier every time. Uh, It's a bummer that this is happening. But, like, let's be honest with ourselves. Uh, Disney has not exactly been a uh, cooperative player in the actor's strikes. Uh, Apparently, Disney, along with the other studios in the AMPTP have really been cracking down. They they don't want to play around with this stuff, especially reportedly regarding AI content and how they'll use actors. It's a bummer. I don't like hearing it, like you don't like hearing it. Like it seems like we want the people on screen, the people we have parasocial relationships to obviously get a good deal, but this has to be a livable industry. And like Bob Iger makes enough money. He's fine. You know what I mean? He he is not hurting for cash. I think he can afford to pay his actors a little more. I think he can probably afford to pay them every time they use their likeness and not just sign some sweet deal where they can chat GPT them into a movie. I think that's a reasonable thing. I don't think anybody's expecting too much. Yeah, it costs a lot to live in LA, but that's where the industry is. You know, actors got to work. Anyway, that's me on the actor strike. Reportedly, they're working on it. I hope they figure it out. In the meantime, dude, when did they suit Snow White? Like 2022? I can't believe this movie hasn't come out yet. I don't know,
1: this still that came out looks awful. Uh, I can't tell if this is a a painting or a photo or a still because everything about it looks bad.
0: It's real bad. Uh, If you haven't seen it, it's Rachel Ziegler uh, as Snow White, obviously uh, her lead. Uh, She's dressed up in the very traditional outfit, right? Blue top with some red trim, uh, big yellow dress, yellow uh, uh, red shoes. She's sitting in a chair in the middle of the frame uh, in, in the Dwarves Workshop Surrounded by our uh, seven dwarves, and they are all CGI. <laughs> it, is, it is, so great. God, I love the internet. Uh, yeah, the the takes that have been coming out about this thing since it dropped have been white hot. Um, it, there was some controversy about this too. Disney what didn't want to use little people. Uh, that was a whole thing. They they wanted to 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 say that they were making something else, and then this is, I guess, what they came up with. And it's like I I once again, I don't think anybody's happy. Disney comes out on the short end of the stick again. It's L after L from these people. Yeah, uh it it's bad and it is only
1: getting worse. Um and we're going to get di- deep dive into that uh a lot more um in our in our middle segment.
0: That's true. Yeah, in the meantime, uh on horror, we did just wrap up October. We do need to talk about the sequel to a very recently reviewed off-script feature. Uh it follows is getting a sequel. Out of nowhere, nobody saw this coming from director David Robert Mitchell. Uh, it's going to star uh, Micah Monroe, who was the lead in It Follows. The film's going to be called They Follow. Uh, this, David Robert Mitchell is an odd director. We just covered him a couple weeks ago on the show. You should totally go back and check out the review or find it on YouTube. Um, my man has not done much since they. It Follows, right, Andy? He has done one other
1: film uh, Under the Silver Lake Which was not particularly well received um, And he's kind of been in director jail Since then And we were, it's so funny that we were just talking about him And we did, we reviewed It Follows Just a couple of weeks ago And now we hear this news I just about lost my mind When I saw this I, I was like, it can't be real Because we were just talking about this How he needs to It'd be great to see another movie from him And he And then what do we get? We get the sequel to uh, you know, I think one of the best horror movies in the last uh, ten ten years or so. We don't know much. We know it's called They Follow. Um, th- there's some speculation that, that uh, the our our cast of heroes is going to try and tr- trace the curse back to its origin and and stop it. But we really don't know. The the fun thing that I think is that this uh, this cast is very young from the first film, so we're going to get to see adult versions of them. That I think that that'll be a really fun thing. I don't think Paul's going to last long in this sequel, but
0: but we'll see. Oh, dude, Paul's toast. He'll be the first to go. That'll that'll be the start (laughs) of the movie. Uh, Yeah, this is really unique. Uh, Once again... Um, as predicted by Oscar Film Review. We didn't predict he'd make a sequel to It Follows, but we were definitely talking about this weeks ago. Uh, and and Andy has been championing It Follows for a long time, like a few, more than a few years. He's been like, hey, you should check out this movie, so I'm glad we watched it for the show. We also watched Under the Silver Lake when it came out. Weird movie that as as time goes on, especially since I've watched It Follows, I think I may revisit it at some point. Um, you can definitely check out our review from way back in the day on that movie. Um, but, like Dave, the man's got talent. like David Robert Mitchell can make a movie for sure. He just doesn't make movies like anybody else. So I'm really interested to see what they follow is bringing to the table because it follows has such a unique like lens that it sees everything its world about through. it, yeah. And like you, I after having seen Under the Silver Lake, I'm like, okay, this is our guy. Like, this is the kind of movie he makes. It will not be a normal feature. It will be non traditional, and that's exciting. Um, why he hasn't gotten more work in the meantime, I couldn't tell you. Like, w- w- what has he been doing? I don't know if he's been producing. I don't know, but like, I, I'm excited he's got another feature. I'm excited. Micah Monroe is going to be back. Um, check out our reviews of It Follows and Under the Silver Lake. I suppose that's that's what I got for you. And we'll cover They Follow when it comes out uh five nights at freddy's is spooking up some big numbers at the box office andy uh but critics say it's a bomb what's happening how does this happen in movie theaters right uh so uh, again it just goes to show uh,
1: that they were saying a hundred years ago at the mgm studios you can't predict the film business like you never know what's going to hit and connect with audiences um, Five Nights at Freddy's was looking at a fifty million dollar opening, which was going to be stellar, and it knocked that out of the park with an eighty million dollar domestic opening and a hundred thirty million dollar global opening haul. And it was made; it's cheap movie, made for about thirty million, or actually less. I think it's actually fifteen to twenty million. Uh, very cheap movie, huge hit, and it's based on uh, a kid's video game that I have not not played. This is aimed at much younger audiences, like think like ten to to thirteen year olds. Um, and it's a huge hit. Kids all came out and their parents to see this. I don't know anything about this property. Um, apparently, it's very lore-heavy, he- but it's not going to out of the park. Critics gave it like 20% fresh on, on Rotten Tomatoes. It was, they all said it, it was terrible, uh, but it's definitely found an audience. Already greenlit sequels.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah, oh, Bloomhouse is all about it. Yeah, uh, Five Nights at Freddy's is a smart pickup for them because it's already got a built-in audience, uh, just like a- Andy said. Uh, there's already people who have played like the five games. I remember seeing this stuff at Hot Topic. I never played it. Andy never played it. We're 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 just kind of low key, too old for that. Like I I play video games, but I, I I never got into these. Um, but there were a bunch of kids who played it, who obviously now are well over the age of PG thirteen and can afford the ticket price for a movie that is on its face has some things that seem to work. I I know we haven't seen it, but I just want to clarify. Number one, uh, the the creature suits seem real cool. Uh, Jim Henson's Creature Shop made them. Uh, they're almost all practical. That's cool stuff. You got to love practical effects. And from what I've heard, it is otherwise like pretty light, but it's PG-13 flick. It, it's it's like just a vehicle to t- get a property into a movie theater to make money. You know what I mean? They were like, we don't even need any big, we don't need it. We don't need Spielberg out here making this movie. Nobody called Rob Pattinson to come to the Five Nights at Freddy's feature. Like it's just like low key and small and it's safe. It's the exact kind of movie that Disney would never make, right? Like it's they're going big and bold, and then getting slammed with Indiana Jones uh, being a huge box office bomb. Um, I don't know. I I I have no interest in Five Nights at Freddy's, but I, I I can't argue the strategy. Like it seems like seems like a good way to make some money, right? I mean when a kids movie hits it,
1: it hits there aren't a lot of kid family friendly offerings and this was a great uh kind of halloween release it's a fun friendly movie it's not like dark hard r rated gory horror it's pg13 uh you know you could take take your kids to it take the family it it's fi- it's fine like it, any any movie that that hits like that where you can have something to take the kids to that you're you're not going to hate sit his sitting through is always going to do well and that's kind of what's happening i i've been blown away by the like just the amount the numbers of this are just incredible <laughs> um and yet, like i said i don't know anything about it but it- it's a hit and we'll we'll kind of see wh- where uh where
0: that goes goes moving forward with these sequels you know who i really want to know uh whose opinion i really want to hear on this um martin scorsese of course because uh, Scorsese has *Killers of the Flower Moon* in theaters, and he's been doing a ton of press. Uh, because um, sag after has been shut down, and actors haven't been able to do press, so he's been doing press for the movie. Right? You've seen interviews of him, and uh, uh, Scorsese like has been obviously very vocal about Marvel and saying infamously that it's not like real cinema, and that's been a whole thing. But like it, lately, he's been doing like TikToks with his granddaughter uh, that have been do- making the rounds on the internet. Like he seems to have kind of loosened up a little bit. Not on Marvel per se, but I'd be curious to see how he feels about, like, his adult skewing Killers of the Flower Moon, you know, a couple weeks in, coming in third behind a concert film and Five Nights at Freddy's, you know, a film that is a critical bomb. He's He's been in theaters for years, you know? Like, what does that look like? What does that say about the cinema landscape? I wish I could say. I I I, I know it's a couple weeks out and it's Halloween. There's a ton of reasons these movies are doing as well as they are, but... Uh, it is unique. You know what I mean? And I think that's one of the things the great things about cinema that like we can see unique features on the screen. It's not simply limited to, you know, uh two hour B movies or anything. Like you can go see a weird Five Nights at Freddy's flick or the, the Eras tour or a three and a half hour long killer of the flower moon. One thing seems for sure. The things that are being successful are the projects that are unique and different. And the same old, same old, like just doesn't seem to be cutting it for the most part. Um but Speaking of things that are unique and different, uh, we got to talk about a unique and different feature on the show this week. Uh, Andy pointed this out um, late last week. Last minute. Yeah, texted me one day and said, hey, The Killer's in theater this week. We should go see it. And I was dumbfounded because The Killer is a David Fincher film. And Fincher, um, for a long time, was was probably my favorite director. I, I think he's kind of fallen out of favor lately just because he's taken on some different work. Uh, And notably, that I want to mention in this review, uh, he has, um, he signed a a four-picture deal with Netflix. Uh, And so kind of like after Mindhunter's two-season success, uh, he signed a deal with them, and he made Mank, And that was his first picture in this deal. And this is picture number two. It's the killer. But Netflix, unlike Amazon, doesn't, or unlike Apple, really, doesn't distribute their their films big in theaters, right? They put them out in theaters for a week, in some places, in very limited markets, uh, for and then they wait a couple weeks and then they drop it on Netflix. So, it's funny because today you can actually watch The Killer on Netflix. It's available there. Going forward, that's where it'll be. But Andy and I got to see it in the theater. Uh, I don't want to beat around the bush anymore. Uh, the movie is The Killer. So The Killer is a David Fincher film starring Michael Fassbender as a very cold, very calculating, uh, very elite assassin. That's modern day, uh, hyper modern day, including uh, uh, product placements from McDonald's, Amazon, uh, uh, Starbucks. DoorDash, Starbucks, yeah, like tons of FedEx is in here at one point. Uh, and, and our man is a globetrotting loner. Who is simply taking jobs and completing them with the, to the most cold and calculating fashion possible? Uh, following a very exciting intro uh, scene, uh, the movie opens with almost like a 15 minute, like, quiet expose of, of him narrating to himself as he's like doing yoga and scoping out like a hit from a rooftop across a street. Uh, it's very low key um, up until a, a hit goes wrong. And suddenly, our cold, calculating always on the mark man is off the mark. and he's thrown into chaos as this world of mercenaries and hitmen begins to crumble onto him like a house of cards., uh, the movie stars Michael Fassbender in his primary role has a couple other uh, guest stars that I think are probably worth you're know, probably worth just seeing in the theater. it's It's a pretty small cast. And frankly, it's a pretty small budget. as uh, Fincher's second film, in his deal with Netflix, uh, it is was barely in theaters. Now it's on Netflix. Most importantly, Andy, I've got to know, w- what do you think of the killer?
1: Man, this movie is totally wasted on Netflix. This, get, get to a theater to see this if you can. Within, in the, I think it's maybe gonna play for for another week, um, in theaters. Really in, enjoyed this. I, I wasn't sure where it was going initially. It starts off very slow. Like uh, Michael Fassbender has this big long monologue about how how, di- how you have to be disciplined in mind, body, and soul. He's got all these very uh, kind of unique idiosyncrasies to prepare for, for this hit. And he's, he's talking through all his strategies and he's just like waxing philosophical about how, how with the mind that it takes to accomplish this. And then it all goes wrong, which is kind of hilarious in, in its own way. And then we have a killer on, on the run, but also trying to exact uh, some revenge um and it's so methodical but also it's shot so well it has moments of really good action really good suspense it's shot on location in paris the dominican republic uh else, elsewhere that i can't remember but it, it's great that they US, actually went to these for sure, places somewhere, yeah yeah um really enjoyed it in, in 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 all aspects the cinematography writing acting uh i like i said it, i wasn't sure when we first started, I was like, "I hope this whole movie isn't like this," and it's and it's not. Um, and I, I was really thrilled by it.
0: Yeah, the, the ads for the killer uh, say in big, big letters when they're promoting uh, David Fincher. They say, "From the director of Seven, Bike Club, and Gone Girl." Um, those are perfect features from his filmography to kind of describe the tone of what's going on here. Uh, the killer is a tight, tight wire act action thriller, and it is very clamped down for most of the time, because our character, uh, the killer, uh, played by Fassbender, is like a clenched jaw individual. He's just constantly, I don't know, he's constantly exacting and he's right and he's thinking through things. Uh, the film's actually based on a graphic novel. Uh, I didn't know this is a 20 year, n- nearly 20 year old project uh, called The Killer. Uh, it's a French novel, I think. And reportedly, uh, Fincher said after Mank in 2020, he wanted to uh, he had a number of ideas for projects, uh, and he had talked with Michael Fassbender about doing something. And Fassbender really fell in love with the idea. Um, Fassbender uh, got super into the idea, actually, so much so that he kind of talked Fincher into doing it with him. He was like, "No, no, no. I think I think this is the role I want. Like, it is this guy is neat. Like this this character is really exacting, really cold, very impersonal." Uh, IMDb also claims here, and I don't, I I'd have to rewatch it. They claim Fassbender never blinks on screen. I don't know if I believe that. There's definitely some te- some terse scenes where I feel like you could catch him um getting punched in the face or something and maybe but like you know maybe that's not maybe that would not count. Um killer is like very rigid and 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 Fincher's known for this in his filmography. Uh, he's a tripod director. 90% of the time when you watch a Fincher movie, it's the, it, the camera is locked down on a tripod, like, every time. It might roll or pan or dolly, but, like, it's not moving. Surprising amount of handheld in The Killer. You could see it in the trailer, uh, which is weird. I, I didn't expect things to feel as kinetic as they do, but I think as as our man starts to tumble uh, backwards through what he thought was a normal job, uh, suddenly, you know, things, things start to feel un, uncertain, and that's where I think... Uh, going handheld is smart move.
1: Yeah, the 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 style is so much about this film. Really pulls you in, and like the cinematography and and camera work is definitely one of them. That we get again great views of these places of the, this uh, kind of Paris skyline where he's over overlooking several buildings, uh, trying to scope out his hit. When we move to the uh, Dominican Republic, it's a much warmer, kind of laid back. Uh, f- Feel, and it's, it mimics the character. It's very cold and calculating and very pre- precise, um, which mimics our, our character's w- way of going about his job.
0: I think one of the things that's so interesting about this story that I think on its face probably sounds a little generic, right? Like, Because it does, right? Oh, a hitman whose job goes wrong and then has to get out, you know? Like, we, we've all seen that movie before, right? Um, but this one is different. And I think part of the reason is because like it, it's so grounded in what a reality would be for a person who does this stuff. Like my man has an Apple Watch that tracks his heartbeat, and he uses that effectively when when he's performing hits. Uh, that's that's part of it. He also has an MP3 player that's completely offline with a surprising amount of the Strokes in it. I, I, I think <laughs> I think the Fincher's David Fincher's a Strokes fan. I don't know if you know that, Andy. Um, lot lots of that. Uh, listens to music real loud. Uh, if if he's getting breakfast in the morning, he gets a, a breakfast on a bun from McDonald's and skips the bun, you know. And uh, most importantly, he has Low this carb. exacting. Yes, and most importantly, he has this exacting monologue, which I think is is comes straight from the book. It's just very very cold way to look at the world like this 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 very exacting understanding idea that while he is a hitman and he is he is performing hits and and eliminating people that like ultimately in the big universal scheme of things like it hardly matters people 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 die every day right somebody slips and falls down their stairs somebody has a heart attack in the grocery store like he's not tipping any scales he is simply a part of the world he lives in And it's a really interesting way to kind of philosophize, if that's the thing. Uh uh you know, reason with yourself that you're murdering people. Um and that never fortunately really lets up. He is just this cold dude and I think it's great. Uh like a few of Fincher films, uh, a few of Fincher's films are our our lead I don't think has a name. I think he's just the killer in the credits, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um that's correct. Because be all right, because it's impersonal, right? And it's it's really a treat to watch this guy Globetrot and what would like otherwise be almost like a secret agent movie, almost reminded me a little like a like a James Bond film, like the way he moves around the world, uses alternate IDs like to, to pass through airports unannounced. He smashes cell phones like nine times in this movie, like just very efficiently moving through resources to be as as uh leave as little footprint as possible. And just be like a shadow, right? Just like just like, a, just like a, a gust of wind. Like that's 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 what he wants to be. He, he's somebody unnoticeable and unremarkable. And then inside, you find somebody who's like completely fascinating.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of like a, a John Le Carn novel, uh, Tinker T- Taylor Soldier Spy, kind of that's very slow paced, very methodical. You know, it, it's it's not stylized spy spy work or you know con- wet work as they they often call it It, it's very very methodical very realistic of like i have to scope out this location for day like several days if not weeks find a way you know into the building out of the building how do i get my weapons in place how do i make sure i have all my equipment how do i make sure i'm eating and you know sleeping and not missing the the thing and yeah he's got all these again fake ids he gets Guns, you know, and it's one of it's kind of the stereotypical like how we would imagine like a high high highly paid assassin to do, but it, it does a very good job of having that cinematic realism where he still has to deal with every day, like he's got a fly commercial and he's he's got to get through through customs and he's got to have, he's got to have money, he's got to buy right. equipment and get rid of equipment. So it, it it does a really good job of really putting this in a very realistic grounding it really.
0: Yeah. And like one of the things that's like really delightful, I think, to watch uh, in a Fincher film is like efficiency made manifest. Cause, Cause Fincher's a very efficient director. Like he's, he's, somebody called him once a, a shut up and shoot a director. Like while it seems like he's going out of his way to frame something really effectively, like a lot of times he'll have a second unit pick up stuff that otherwise would look, you know, unremarkable. And it comes out looking great because he's like, no, 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 just set the light there, shoot that there, use this lens, boom. And like it just comes together really clean. And I think, yes, along with our man's choice of music, I mean, unless that comes in the graphic novel, couldn't tell you if it does or not. Like I think Fincher maybe like sees sees echoes of his own like work methods in this character. And so seeing somebody who's just like really exacting and and very specific with how they're how they're performing actions. But so decidedly, right, like is something that he and I think Fastbender like really connected with because Fastbender just gets lost in it, man. It's really great to watch. Like, I, don't get me wrong. I think fastbender has got a lot of talent and I'm sure he's great in Taika Waititi's new feature. But like, I, I like Fastbender so much more in like action thriller than I do comedy. Like, he's so great. Like, he's got the, oh, I'm man, he's got the clenched so jaw, the cold eyes. Like, man.
1: So dreading that that movie which I feel what? like we're probably gonna have to see. Uh, next goal wins. The title next goal wins oh, with with Michael Fassbender. You think he's yeah? He, um, yeah. He, he's he's. So, I was gonna say Fassbender's so good in this, and he carries most of the movie. Um, I was gonna say it's also it's broken up into I think six unique chapters as we kind of wind our way through the story, and he and he kind of climbs the ladder to you know kind of take care of everyone he needs to take care of to to be. Uh, Uh, a free man and so we find we navigate kind of a a really interesting cast of characters so no one has has a name it's just like the killer the expert the client the lawyer the these kinds of
0: uh, almost archetypes yeah like everybody's just kind of this like tremendous version of an idea of who they would be um score from Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross not their best um, but not bad. Uh, it, in fact, it actually takes a pretty active role in the film, which was nice. A lot of tense moments where it'll kick in loud in the middle of what's an otherwise quiet scene, and will we'll preempt action in a way that I think is like really satisfying. Uh, Reminding me a lot of like a John Carpenter score, big sense, boom, boom. You know, like uh, like They Lived reviewed not that long mm-hmm. ago. Um, otherwise, not not all that remarkable. Um, but I think what is remarkable is that this movie is. Uh, only and on, only in films on uh, theaters for a week and then goes straight to the straight to Netflix. And like I man, Fincher's gotta get away from <laughs> Netflix. And it kills me he's got two more movies to go. I'm glad oh, they're man. funding him. I really am. But like it it's it's tough because get a David Fincher's studio. a big director. Yeah, he's the guy who directed Seven and Fight Club and Gone Girl. And like he's in theaters for a week. It's the same thing they did with with Ryan Johnson's Knives Out trilogy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they said, we'll buy you two more movies, but we get to dictate how they go. So, Glass Onion was at theaters for a week, and that sucks. Like, Glass Onion would have had a great run. I don't know if The Killer would have done that good, but it certainly would have done better than it has. And it's tough watching Apple put Scorsese and Scott in big theaters. Uh, God, Napoleon's coming out Thanksgiving, an Apple Apple Plus picture. And meanwhile, like, David Fincher's stuck in the back seat on The Killer, and, and, and uh, yeah... I don't know that that it's the, the totally wasted. Placement was the product placement was pretty extreme too. Andy pointed that out during the movies. Like this, this is like the eighth ad we've seen. Like, yeah, it's true. It's, it's a lot. Well, I
1: and I, I that was the last thing I wanted to comment on. Uh, this movie is it, you know we have our story of our killer, but it's really in another way. It's an indictment of of kind of late stage capitalism. That's part of the reason there is so much product placement. At first, I I just thought oh they must be playing you know McDonald's is paying to get their name in here but there are a ton of companies shown and it relates to things happening in in the story that we can't get into but that's part of the the parallel uh of what's happening because part of why everything goes wrong for him is just greed from the people involved and while it's not you know legitimate businesses it is that greed that causes all all this harm and these deaths and it's kind of paralleled with all these companies that are named name dropped in the movie
0: yeah uh it's you know it's a it's it's a cool movie, and I I, I wish more, I could tell more people to go see it in a the theater, but I can tell you to go see it on Netflix when we get to recommendations, which I think is about where we're at. I don't I don't want to say too much more. I think we've done a good job of kind of towing around the plot, so you can get in and enjoy it for yourself. Uh, Andy, would you recommend The Killer? Absolutely, a uh, really fun
1: movie, really engrossing. I was on the edge of my seat. Like I had to go to the bathroom really bad during this, and I just was not going to get up and go because I I just was afraid I was going to miss uh, something, but great performance great mood um action when it comes up and like i said a lot of it it feels part spy movie part action movie uh it's making some social commentary a lot of great cameos from actors you'll recognize that we're not going to spoil here so highly recommend catch it in theaters if you can
0: (laughs) yeah i'm i'm in the same boat the killer's cool you should totally check it out solid fincher movie uh actually really refreshing i think after mank because that was a big departure from him that was his dad's old script and he was like yeah i'm gonna do it black and white period picture uh yeah the killer is him back in form i hope he gets a bigger budget and can be in theaters longer next time uh that's the killer god uh now we got to talk about something i've really really been looking forward to talking to on the podcast uh i'm excited to get into this andy do you mind uh, uh bringing bringing us in it's time for the death of cinema.
1: So we are gonna be talking about crisis at Marvel Marvel in crisis this big uh article from variety came out um yesterday I think and or maybe it was two days ago and uh just Marvel having a number of things all kind of going wrong at the same time uh we're just gonna I'll go over some of them then we'll get into more details uh jo- issues with Jonathan Majors content saturation. Uh, the new Marvels f- film that's looking like it's not going to be very successful. VFX issues, other just not knowing how to go forward, not knowing how to make this profitable. Way too much spending on on Disney Plus shows, uh, and more. And so that's kind of our our overview. Zach, what's what's your initial take?
0: <laughs> I'm so excited to talk. You have no idea how excited <laughs> I am to talk about this in this show. Okay, listen. There's a couple reasons this is satisfying. Number one, Andy and I do a movie podcast, right? Like, if you know anybody in your life who does a movie podcast besides us, uh, you know that this is like Marvel stuff is something we see a lot of, right? Like, and it's easy for us to kind of go see all of these features because we do them every week for the show and generate broad opinions, and so it's satisfying when film Twitter lines up with you and other people realize that yeah, there may be an oversaturation of Marvel content. That yeah. Maybe Marvel's VFX aren't really holding up anymore. Sure, their casting's not so good and their storylines don't seem to connect and it sure feels like I gotta watch 10 different features in three shows to keep up with what's going on in the next movie, but they're still a big deal, right? And then you can look at like box office charts and and realize, oh no, okay, they're not actually doing that good. And and boy, Variety comes out with this fat scoop with a bunch of people who don't want to go on record being like, I was in a meeting with Disney. It's going terrible. Mickey Mouse cried. <laughs> I Iger's cooked. It's so funny. Like and, and 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 I think they're gonna. Let me be clear. Marvel is the biggest like film franchise maybe ever, probably ever at this point. God, I think ever. Um, Disney is like the biggest entertainment company. There's plenty of time to write the shit. There's plenty of time to pit. They have lots of money. It's a deep war chest. So with that in mind, please sit back and allow Andy and I to explain to you the crisis at Marvel. Cause boy, it's a treat. Andy, please go ahead. So we're going to start with Jonathan
1: majors. Um, he was supposed to really helm the big bad Kang, the conqueror for phase, uh, four, five, six, and uh they they put it all on him and he is is going on trial at the end of this month for a domestic violence assault case uh, that looks really bad for him there's a lot of there's information that the uh, there's evidence that, that his defense is trying to seal from the public that will eventually come out at trial so it's not looking good. Um, and the thing is Disney went all in on him apparently, the uh, the Loki show is wrapping up in the next couple of weeks, and apparently there's going to be a lot of big revelations that basically Kang the Conqueror is supposed to be the next big bad, and they don't really know what to do. They feel like they should pivot, but they don't really know how. Uh, I don't know why they haven't just think of just replacing the actor, but that's been uh, brought up, uh, maybe pivoting to someone like Doctor Doom, which is a fan favorite. Uh, and, and Allegedly, an insider was like, Disney is totally screwed by the Kangs, they use harsher and, and, and language it
0: only gets funnier yeah yeah that's the uh, pg-13 yeah. version the the jonathan majors thing is so weird because like when this got announced andy and i were like he's out he's done gg and yeah it's weird that he was in quantum mania and sure they shot some of loki but like loki hadn't come out yet and and everybody else was dumping him god uh, caa dumped him like his agency his lawyer's like, no, it's a different thing. This trial's been pushed back. It's like, ease out. There's no way. We figured Magazine Dreams' as next big feature um, would probably be put on ice. And as predicted by Offscript, it was. Disney put it on ice uh, just earlier this week. Um, but, like, in a world of multiverses, in a world of multiverse villains, it is not that bananas to think you could recast him and just have Kang show up as a different actor in another movie and have ant-man or some moron say hey you're not kang i saw him and he'd say there's a billion there's a million billion of us don't you, do you think we all look yeah, the you, same game you over just done it. but like they but i don't think they can because like i don't think those are the only projects they've been in now that loki season two has come out obviously he was very engaged in that i don't know if they have contracts I don't know what the deal is, but like, it seems like the mouse is not sure that getting rid of him is, is, is the move. And it's, it's funny because like, it just feels like on paper, it'd be so easy, but I don't know what kind of spider web they got in the back. They got so many things luring into each other and, and characters from one show that walk into a movie that it, it's, it's hard to keep up. Yeah. It, it, it's not. It's
1: very hard to pivot away when you put all your chips on this character, and and this is not what they did in in phase one, two, three. Like the f- Marvel phase one was about getting the Avengers together, and Loki was kind of the big villain. And then in phase two, they begin they began to very slowly, very subtly tease Kang in after credit scenes. He wasn't the focus. Sorry, not Kang, Thanos. And then we we don't actually see Thanos until Infinity War. It's so late into phase three, and you you know it was easier to to deal with that. I mean, they would have been terrible if they would have had to pivot away, but you you can you can do something. You can write the ship. Switch into a whole different character, I think, is not possible. Um, if they don't write this, they're gonna it's they're gonna what's gonna happen is what happened to Star Wars where they just stop. They're like we're gonna stop, put everything on ice and figure out how to restart. Which could right. take years. Cause Star Wars hasn't recovered since twenty nineteen. They have yet to to get a movie pushed.
0: Right. They're still working it out. Then they've they've greenlit and then functionally flunked multiple writers and directors trying to get a project out. You know, I think another issue is content saturation that's talked about in here. Um, there's been this big push to grow Disney+, Plus, especially in the pandemic when Star Wars is not doing that good. Uh, reportedly, Iger and Chapik both had the same company line. They were like, hit the gas on Marvel. We're going to make a ton of Marvel, right? There's going to be a Marvel show coming out Every week for or a movie like there will be something around the water cooler year round for people to talk about regarding Marvel. It will always be a part of the conversation. And it's like you can't be that surprised that people (laughs) got aren't getting excited about something that's now regular and common. Right. Like if we're talking about Marvel all year, I don't care about Marvel all year. Like Game of Thrones was was cool because the season finale happened. Then it was like, oh, my God, we will have to wait all summer. You know, like. Apparently not with Marvel they they didn't they didn't think that was going to be a problem it's crazy Initially it kind
1: of worked because they they had like WandaVision uh Captain uh, Falcon, Falcon Winter Soldier and, 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 and like the, yeah. the, their shows flowed right into each other really well but it, it was just kind of the the beginning and they were still tied into the movies uh, a little bit but yeah it, it was just too much of a good thing um when Infinity War and Endgame came out there was there were no movies between that. It was literally not like 12 months of no Marvel. And we just, and that's part of what helped build build the hype. Of course, we didn't have Disney plus just then, but um, that's part of what happened. And that led into other problems of just trying to push uh, all this, all the VFX artists to, you know, a bunch of unreasonable d- deadlines, basically poor production because they were trying to rush everything. So scripts weren't f- finished and finalized. The VFX stuff was pushed. Uh, I mean, they, they're talking about they were putting, they were still doing VFX work after like shows had started. Like, so like She Hulk came, episode one came out, and they're still working on episode seven. Like, it, it was not ready at all, at all. Or episode, uh, those shows are short; they're only like five or six episodes. Um, is real bad. Apparently, the, the scripts weren't weren't finished as, as well. the The first episode of She Hulk was apparently the the second to last episode. And they ended ended up changing the the reverse order and that moved, messed everything thing. Like the Marvels was supposed to come out before Ant-Man 3 and that also, that throws everything off in the production, the VFX artists. It's just, there's, they're trying to do too much and it's just ruining kind of everything.
0: Yeah. Like it's, it's, and imagine being the VFX company who has to like scramble to reshuffle a whole Disney plus show like weeks before release because a group of execs were like, nah, this, this sucks. Rewrite it, make it better. And they spent, they turned out they spent like 25 million on every episode of She Hulk, which puts it at nearly total the same budget as Avengers Endgame. So you guys could have made a cast and crew studded, incredible feature for two hours in theaters, or you made She Hulk. And the reason it costs so much is horrific planning, like really poor pre production and then forcing post production to try to fix it to cover it up. Like, This is not the first time they've done this. They seem to do this a lot, and that's not how you make smart movies. We've been talking about this for months on this show. I mean, Quantumania really suffered, and reportedly, apparently, even at like big theater screenings, like premieres, like red carpet stuff, uh, there's people in this Variety article saying at closed-door screenings, they were showing CGI that wasn't finished, like out-of-focus stuff in public, formal screenings. It's like, oh, my God. Like who let this happen? How is Disney letting this letting this happen? And the answer is they're not planning. Like they're spread way too thin, and they just doesn't seem to be a central pillar here. Which is funny because the central pillar is supposed to be Kevin Feige, right? Like that's supposed to be the guy. That's the guy Nia Dacosta points to when she says the Marvels is really Kevin Feige's Fe- Kevin Feige's movie. He also seems to be the reason uh, she took off from uh, the production months before it was over like crazy this is her 250 million dollar feature and she's like nope but she's pointing it away it's that guy that's the guy you want right R- raise your pitchforks at him like i don't know what's coming in the marvels but i'm not i'm not confident
1: yeah it, it's looking to open pretty weak uh for for a marvel movie and especially like the first captain marvel was a billion dollar movie so but that i mean marvel has such good will then and now it has none and So it's not looking good. You have two heroes in that movie that you will not know if you have not watched the TV shows from literally years ago. Um, It's just, man, it's not looking good. And the the release date has been moved twice because it was supposed to, again, it was supposed to come out in February or like in the spring and then then the summer and now it finally got pushed to November. Um, And we haven't had a good Marvel movie since Guardians 3, which is kind of unrelated to the larger Marvel universe, really. So it's not looking good, and I think what makes it even worse is there. We've heard rumors of of what they want to do moving forward, and it's just a bad idea after a bad idea. To the point that there, there's talk of trying to bring back like the original um, Avengers, including like rock dead characters like Robert Downey Jr. and Scarlett Johansson, and just like you know, hand wave them away, multiverse, something or other, and just get them all back on screen. That sounds like a terrible idea, and apparently for Avengers Secret Wars. Uh, Hugh Jackman's Wolverine and Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man are supposed to be the leaders and I'm like how yeah. are we ever going to get there like there's just no way
0: it's yeah. cooked uh, yeah it's cooked yeah there's mention of uh, Mahershala Ali's Blade in here which I mean we covered on the show that that sh- that, that film got cancelled like weeks before production was supposed to start and now it's pushed to 2025 and they have a new writer which is like their fifth or sixth crack at a script Apparently he's talking about leaving the, leaving the production. He's like, I've been attached to this for four years now. What the hell are they doing? Why does it take too long to get Snow White in theaters? Why can't they make a Star Wars movie? Why is Marvel spinning out of control? I think the answer may be leadership, right? Like I know people talk about Kevin Feige put it all together, but like maybe it's time for somebody new. You know what I mean? Maybe it's time for a new brain trust. The same might be said of Bob Iger, who came back after after the uh, after the pandemic after Chapik. Got in there and did his thing. And uh, even now, he seems to be thinking, hey, I shouldn't have come back. This is a terrible thing. Like, ultimately, Andy's right. Like, Marvel, at least before 2020, was a name that quickly became associated with quality. When you saw the Marvel title on something, you knew it was going to be a good time at the movies. Now, I don't think people are as confident. I don't think people feel that way. I think people see Marvel and Disney Plus and they roll their eyes and scroll the next five Marvel things. Like, it's just a saturation problem, among other things. But, like, I think broadly that's the biggest issue and 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 for what it's worth iger did say not long ago that they're going to be screwing down on this that they're only going to make one or two a year i think maybe three i think they're going to kind of back off on tv shows save a little money especially for this big hulu acquire from comcast which is coming up um i don't know like i I think like i said at the top i think they have time to write the ship but my god like they they boy it doesn't look like it doesn't look it from here like they gotta they gotta get this stuff together Well, and it's
1: interesting that they wrote the playbook on how to do these movies and they're not following their own playbook. Like they've introduced a bunch of new heroes that no one really knows and they just haven't brought them back. Like in the early phases, we had like Captain America 1, Captain America 2, Captain America 3. Like we would see our heroes multiple times and they would show up in other people's movies. Now, like we haven't seen Shang-Chi in several years, The Eternals in several years, The New Black Black Widow like where are these people and like why haven't we seen more of them and why haven't they like we should we should be nearing like a group film uh by now and and we're not uh the closest thing is going to be I guess Thunderbolts which is at a year away um and I th- I I think this is all going to be in shambles there's no way we're getting to these next Avengers movies uh that in the Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars which are not till 20 2026 like that's so far out that might as well be yeah. 100 years out like it's never who, gonna happen
0: right who is gonna care by then and like i i i don't know i think disney's got a pivot here i think andy you might be right like if it if they ended up going too far like on on onto ice it's too thin they'll just freeze and stop that's what they did with star wars right they 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 dropped that uh darth maul was back and alive and well in the live action universe and solo and they never made another star wars <laughs> <laughs> they were like big reveal, not making any more of these. You know, they're gonna figure it out and they'll recon where they need to. It would be weird to think that there's a a theater schedule without Marvel in it, right? I mean, we've been doing it for so long, and they have been a titan for eleven years. But Marvel might be a little cooked, and I think they just need to pivot. And they need to pivot and figure out what they're doing. Warner Brothers is foaming at the mouth with James Gunn at the head of DC. They cannot wait to try to get on top of this and fill this superhero (laughs) void. But let's remember, they're not exactly having an easy go of it either. I don't know how Aquaman 2 is going to do, but Flash bomb, dude. And superhero (laughs) movies are in a weird place. If Marvel's turns out to be the bomb, it, it may be and it has the budget that it's estimated to, it will be right next to Indiana Jones and the Flash as one of the biggest bombs of the year. Might even take the title. And the, and the fact that two of those three films would be Disney films, and two of those three worst films of the year would be superhero movies, is worth mentioning, you know? Like, maybe people want something different. Maybe maybe you can look at the current landscape with Five Nights at Freddy's and and the Arrows Tour and Kills the Flower Moon and think, you know what? Maybe people are looking for something a little more unique. Um, that can happen at Marvel. That there's plenty of room for that to happen. Comic comics are an incredible, incredible medium at which to tell stories. Like, oh my god, like a wealth of stuff. But I think they're gonna have to be a little bit more creative going forward. They're gonna have to do something.
1: Yeah, it it reminds me of the of the Western. Uh, that's been one of the big comparisons because uh, the Western had its heyday in the 50s and 60s. Where that that's all anyone was making because they were so uh successful, so profitable, and then kind of the same thing happened it became oversaturated and uh it it never went away and that's what is going to happen here the superhero genre will never go away it'll be like the western it will be less uh overwhelming content but we're always going to have superhero movies we may just maybe not have 16 a year like we are right now
0: yeah um Anyway, that's Variety's crisis at Marvel article. I'm really glad we got to talk about it. Um, this is one of the things I love about doing this show. I can take all my exciting film film Twitter opinions and just share them with you right here uh, through through the, the the power of the internet, from creator to createe, Right, the way it's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, but speaking of sincere projects, um, we got to talk about this oh. next. I know terrible segue. Ter- we got to talk about this next film. Um, really excited to talk about this. This is one we missed when it came to theaters. Didn't hear a lot about it, but since then we've heard a bit of a buzz. Andy's gonna take the summary on. Andy, please uh, take it away.
1: Past lives. So this is the directorial debut from Celine Song, who's a playwright. Uh, this premiered at Sundance last January, and we've heard tons of buzz about this. So much that this is you know one of the films, one of the year's great films a lot of os- Oscar buzz about it. And recently Guillermo De- del Toro came out and said, this is the best directorial debut in the last 20 years, meaning first film from a a, a new director. Um, and so we just had to check it out, see what it's all about. A lot, a l- little bit of hype uh, to go along with it. Um, so let me tell you what it's all about. It is a uh, kind of Korean American drama where you meet two young friends, Nora and Hae Sung, and we meet them in Korea in Seoul in the year 2000. They are childhood friends at the age of 12. They have a big crush on each other, it's, and they know it. They they kind of have a little play date with with, um, with each other and their their parents are chaperones, and it's really fun. But uh, Nora will very soon be immigrating to Canada and then the US um, imminently, and so they, they have this budding romance, and then immediately she leaves the country they reconnect uh later in life first 12 years later and then again 12 years later after that in their in their 30s at which point uh Sung comes to visit uh the the girl he hasn't seen in 24 years who at this point and we uh, there's a lot given away in the trailer but it's also part of the premise of uh at this point she is grown up she's an uh, adult she's married um, and it's it's about, like, these relationships you have at different points in life. A um, very beautifully well-shot movie. I see where all the buzz is uh, about it because it feels like a classic movie. I recently watched uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's and uh, Roman Roman Holiday. And the city is so much a part of those movies, and that's the feel we get here. It's shot on location in New York. You have all the famous sites, but it really uses them as part of the film. Zach, what do you think?
0: So... Past Lives is uh, kind kind of lightning in a bottle, I think. Uh, it's from a first-time director uh, who just, I mean, rarely do you get a first-time director who turns out a feature that looks this stellar. Uh, she also wrote it. It is a really great script. Uh, Past Lives is a movie about insecurity, which is weird. I, at least I think. It's it's about a few other things than that, right? Relationships and romance and loss and longing. And I, I totally get that. But ultimately, like... Everybody in past lives is written so brutally honest. Nobody lies. Nobody fibs. Nobody, no, nobody like holds back their opinion because of what somebody else says. Uh, when one character asks another how they feel, they just explain it. They just say, "Hey, here's how I feel. Here's 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 how I am." Uh, when Nora's husband Arthur says, "Hey, is this guy attractive to you?" Like, you know, and she's like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Not really, but like, yeah, I think he's an attractive person, you know. Um, it's uncomfortable, like, it's uncomfortable for us to watch, it's uncomfortable for Arthur to feel. Uh, and when, when uh, Hei comes over and sees her for the first time, and she's kind of excited to see him, and he's like stunned, it's uncomfortable, right? Like, it's this long, awkward silence, it's uncomfortable for us to watch, and it, it like. Feeds on these very human feelings that we all share, like the, the, these feelings of of surprise and embarrassment, um, of of nonconformity, even in in the face of like different cultures, because this is very uh, half South Korea, half uh, American. Um, like that stuff is is really humble and really sincere and really intimate, and like it works all the better in a film that is subversive. And and takes an angle you wouldn't expect with a story that you've heard before, namely in explaining it to you. I, there's a scene that uh, right, uh, Nora and Arthur are both writers, and there's a scene that where Arthur explains to Nora. He's like, in any other, if if somebody else was was writing this this story that we're in, like I'd be the bad guy, right? Like I'm I'm not the husband who's been here the whole time that you hate, and 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 this guy comes <laughs> along and sweeps you off your feet like Prince Charming. He's like, I'd be the villain of this story, and it's so charming to have a film that comments on that that trope that idea but also like manages to build something really profound um, by going a different direction from what would otherwise be a really generic romance like really sharp really great first-time work excited to talk about it Andy where do we jump in
1: um, so I'd like to talk about the the look of this movie because I think that's one of the things that really caught people's attention. Um, like I said, it, it's shot largely in New York City, and it just makes such good use of lo- locations. And again, we, we get things like the, Bro- the Brooklyn Bridge, Statue of Liberty, Chinatown, but it really uses these backdrops effectively to place our, our characters in. And it takes quite a while for them to kind of get to that part. That's the part that's sold in the trailer quite a bit. Uh, but it also takes us a while to get there and a lot of the movie is also just over it's people on screens because uh, when they when they initially connect in their 20s, it's um, via social media and they start texting and then eventually start video calling, but it's two, it's 2012 uh, video video chatting so the screens aren't great. Um, and it's and it's a lot of acting on both sides. And that actually re- reminds me these two actors did not meet. In person until like they actually like met on set to shoot and they they purposely stayed away like they didn't rehearse together even like remotely they purposely stayed away from each other so they could have that really fresh never met this person before in my life kind of feel
0: right like yeah this other entity that i've just heard about and heard talked about right but i've never actually engaged with. Yeah, this movie looks stunning. Like, it, this does not look like work from a first-time director. Like, I couldn't believe how effective some of the framing is. There's this brilliant little montage when Sung first gets into New York, and he's at his hotel, and he goes from the airport to the cab to the hotel, gets inside, gets a coffee. He's kind of hanging out and, and getting his bearings, um, and it's rainy, and, and it's framed so... Cleverly, like in in ways you would never think to shoot something, because Celine Song is very explicitly making decisions behind the camera to try to present the world that she sees, and that's such a delight. Like that's what you want to see, right? You don't want people shooting generic. You want people shooting a voice. They they, they have something to say, and she does. Um, there's shots of this film that start as a landscape. there's a great scene uh, where Hei Sung and Nora are walking uh, through a park uh, by a bridge. And it opens as a landscape shot. So it's big on the bridge. Huge wide lenses in this movie. Um, and you see just these two characters just kind of walking along the bottom. And the camera kind of just slowly pans with them. And as you, it, before you know it, they kind of come walking on the sidewalk in one, like, clean four-minute take where they're just, like, chatting about catching up. You know, how have things been? How have you been over there? How are you here? Um, I can't believe how good this movie looks. <laughs> like it's really stellar, and, and and like lots of good long takes too. It's funny when I cut the trailer um, package for uh, *Past Lives*, so we could run it here on the show. Um, a lot of the shots in the trailer are like eight seconds long, too long for YouTube. Like couldn't couldn't even get on. There, <laughs> right. Uh, the killer trailer, meanwhile, Fincher is like lightning fast cuts, and and I know yep. trailers are edited by different people, but like I just think past lives is so much more willing to linger and so much more willing to spend time in a space um, and to push its characters, like, in the frame into, like, uncomfortable moments. And I think that's really sharp. Um, it's really great work.
1: Yeah, and what's also stunning is our, just our narrative, our, our writing. Um, there's this concept of Inyun that's mentioned in the film and it's kind of like Providence and it um, talks about a certain kind of uh kind of connection that people have and the reason it's called past lives is they discuss you know who were we to each other in past lives you know that we end up together now and there's also the idea that maybe we will end up together in a different life and this is one of our like we're now living one of our what will be a past life and they have this really strong connection but it's it's really profound look at who we are at different points in our lives um Nora's current Nora's husband doesn't know kind of the younger child version of her he knows her as as an adult and playwright and hey Sung knows the child version of her that that he grew up with but has he is not known as an adult until he comes to visit so it's kind of who, who we are and the potential of what we maybe could have been had, had life just gone differently.
0: Yeah, like, it's, it's, a, it's a film with a crossroads in it, right? And, and Nora goes one way and Hae-soon goes the other. And it's so fascinating that come act two, um, when they kind of start to reignite for the third time uh, in present day, Hae-soon uh, comes to visit New York and uh, Arthur doesn't contest to them spending time together. In fact, encourages it. You two should go out, show him whatever, like go, go, go hit the city and they make plans and go do things. And they don't even really fill him in on it. They, at the end of the night, they get back to, to his apartment. He's like, so what'd you guys do today? Oh, we went, we went to Ellis Island. Really? I've never done that. Like spending time with Nora doing things that like, even he has not done, like, like creating memories that he can't be a part of. And it's so fascinating that he gives it the space to do that. Right? Like so many generic characters mentioned earlier like, would, would know, they would protest, hey, that makes me uncomfortable, but he doesn't because he knows it's important to her and they talk about that and they have really honest adult conversations about it and it's shockingly refreshing and, and really healthy. Additionally, uh, like, he makes sure to give the two of them space to not only, like, explore their own feelings but to move the plot, like, and so we get the pleasure of this uh, in... in 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 the audience to see right of of seeing these two kind of reconnect and and see what that means and if they still have a connection and and where that might go uh it's really tremendous like i I, and it's so small right like i keep i I feel like i keep comparing it to after sun but like in the same way like Mm -hmm. practically micro budget like actors and actresses i've never seen but like emotions that i won't get from uh, any a few other films this year you know what i mean and like it's it's really stellar work it
1: yeah it reminds me one of the things i wanted to talk about is um this film's about identity and our our three main characters are are very different uh Nora is k- korean american she grew up in korea for 12 years and then in in the west after that um her husband is fully fully american and jewish and then Sung is has only lived in Korea his, his whole life. So he's fully Korean and she has this great line that she says when she's with him, she feels simultaneously less Korean because she doesn't speak Korean near as well as him and hasn't grown up there as often. And also simultaneously more Korean because it's more than she kind of experiences in her, uh, everyday life. Uh, the, the movie uses, uh, language as, as a very interesting I, I, piece of identity because they're so close because of their language, even though they haven't seen each other in twenty years. Where her husband, uh, while he might he knows a little bit of Korean, he, that's not something he he speaks, and so he's a bit of an outsider in that way. Um, but it's just th- the theme of identities is really interesting uh, in the movie. And again, it's really mature stuff. You can and you can see the the playwright writing, you know, really digging into these characters.
0: Yep. It's another great acquire for a 24. It's something small and intimate that I think is, is going to stand the test of time. Like it's, it's a really cool flick. I don't have much more to say about it. Andy, I think I'm running out of things. Uh, anything else for recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend past lives?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It is definitely one of the best films we've seen. Uh, I've seen this year. It, it's very profound. It's interesting. Um, it, Gets a little slow pace for me at, at, at times, but it is incredibly well shot, especially for a first-time director. It's a very, like I said, deep and profound film of, about love and destiny and uh, identity, like I said, and uh, great performances from, I didn't name them before, Greta Lee and uh, Tae Yu as uh, Hae Sung. Uh, so really, really phenomenal first film. I'm excited to see what Celine Song does next.
0: Yeah, me too. I know, I was just looking at it. I, I know Celine Song has a, another deal with A24. She's working on a film called Materialist. I don't know anything about it, but apparently A24 was like, yep, absolutely, we want you to do another one with us. So that's tremendous. Uh, Past Lives is great. You should absolutely go watch it. Uh, there's no no real, no real qualms about it. Uh, it is, it is, I'm going to say, it's not like adult in the way that it's like graphic content or anything, but like a, a child would be bored out of their minds watching this movie. Like yeah. it's, 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 it's a thoughtful Mature kind themes. of film. Yeah, right. Like an hour 45, like not too bad. I I think Past Lives is good stuff. You should totally check it out. Unfortunately, it's only available via VOD. That being said, I think it's worth the price of admission, especially if maybe you got a a cinephile significant other who might want to take in Past Lives. I think it'd be worth it. But if your partner's not super into weird movies, like probably not. But yeah, I think you should check out Past Lives. It's a great time. And that's our show. Oh my gosh. Uh Andy episode uh God, on 231, 231 this week. Good lord. Coming up on that big two 25 250. What are we going to do? Um what are we watching next week? So, uh we're going to be on break
1: this week. Um some of there's just a couple of small releases. Uh Priscilla the Elvis, the Elvis um or not the Elvis the the Movie about, about Priscilla Presley is coming out this week. Uh, it just says an FYI. Uh, we're going to be returning on November 14th uh, with The Marvels, the big new MCU film. We're going to see what that's all about. And finally, we're going to get to Anatomy of a Fall, the film that we had talked about seeing last week. But we had to just get in and see the, the killer Instead, also releasing on November 10th is the Holdovers, which is Alexander Payne's new movie starring uh, Paul Giamatti. He, of course, famously did Sideways almost 20 years ago. Uh, So that's just knowing that those are out there. But the Marvels, Anatomy of a Fall, are the ones we'll be covering.
0: Hold on, we got we got a new Paul Giamatti movie coming out, and we got we got to go see the Marvels. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wish we I was more excited it. about it. I am excited about talking about it. That's going to be good stuff because I always like talking about movies on this show. That's what we do here on OutScript. Script. We talk movies every single week, every Tuesday. And uh, if you liked what you heard this week, you like the movies we talked about, maybe didn't like the movies we talked about, maybe you have something to say about our reviews or our hot takes on Marvel or the like, uh, the best way you can correspond with us is... Via email. Yeah, e- email's pretty direct, man. It's it's hard to deny it doesn't work. Mail at Oscarfilmreview.com We are available there. You can also comment on our posts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the usual social media stuff. We're around. Uh, you can find us on YouTube where we post our episodes uh, all the time. Big things happening over on YouTube. Please come check it out. Of course, when all the usual podcast outlets, iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeartMedia. You might be listening to one of us on there. Right now, you might be listening on us on an outlet that I didn't list, but it's still you know important and we're glad you're here. And of course, you can see other things we do at Uh The most important thing you could do if you like the show, the biggest solid you can do us, it doesn't even cost you a dime, which is crazy, everything costs money now, uh, is you can just subscribe. Just subscribe to Oscar Film Review to get your new episodes delivered straight to your phone or your favorite device every single week. Except for next week, because we'll be off. But otherwise, we'll be back with the Marvel's Anatomy of a Fall. Excited to talk about it. From all of us at Script, the home of Bolt Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.